Would you turn with me to John chapter 5? This is, uh, if you want to take the blue book that's in the pew, it's on page 891. We had a great time during seminary going down to a little church called Oldenburg that met out in the country. And people were very colorful and interesting. We ate with one couple where the only thing we ate on their table that they didn't grow was bread. But everything else they grew on their farm. And one of the interesting characters was a fellow who couldn't see and his wife couldn't hear. And typically I would call out a hymn and... He would turn to her and say, I would say, 247, 247. And she'd go, I know, I know. Every time you called out of him, you know, it was just that funny thing to watch it happen. But uh, we had, the, the numbers uh, grew some while we were there. And uh, Harold, who couldn't see, uh, he would be driven to church by his wife. And he was sitting in front of the church, and it kind of looked like this. what reminded me of it. And he kind of looked out, and he said, Adrian, is the church full? Because <laughs> he really couldn't tell. I don't know if he thought there might be sheep or cows or whatever, um, but they were people. And uh, it's really encouraging to see uh, a full house today, you know, as we plant another church that God uh, has given us such a rich treasure of people here. We are planting a church as a mission, and that creates for us a new mission, doesn't it? We're a new mission. We're a new church now. Uh, We will get to know people we haven't, and we will create relationships that we haven't, and be involved in ministries that we haven't. It's a wonderful new day for us, and I hope that you're excited about it uh, as I'm excited. Well, we're going to start a three-part series on mission. Uh, Today is the God of mission. Next week, the people of mission. And then Ryan will preach on the place of mission. Our outline is formed by a great book by Christopher Wright on uh, the mission of God. Uh, And so this morning, the first thing I'm going to do is kind of give an introduction to the whole of the series. And then the, sheets, uh, the sheet that was handed out uh, will form uh, the basis for what we'll uh, do today. But uh, as an entrance into that, uh, I want to introduce the whole idea of mission in the Bible. And then we're going to talk about uh, why it is so critical that we make known this God Uh, who has revealed himself in Scripture. So we're going to start with John 5, verses 39 and 40, just those two verses. Jesus speaking to the leaders of Israel, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet... You refuse to come to me that you may have life. Let us pray. Lord, as we consider what the Bible is all about today, 
as we consider uh, its focus on mission, its, its very existence because of mission, we pray that you would enlarge our hearts, that, Lord, we ourselves would be gripped with the very mission of God and the God of mission. Lord, cause us to have an energy and an astonishment that we get to participate in the mission of God. Bless us to that end, we pray. Amen. Now, kids, kids, imagine this, that if you heard about, you, your parents tell you that you're going to go to Disney World, okay? You're so excited because you've never been to Disney World. Say you're a little seven-year-old and your parents say, we're going to go to Disney World every year. So you just can't believe it. Every year I'm going to Disney World. It's just going to be amazing. Well, when you get to Disney World, you walk in, pay all the money, pay all the money for the flight down there and the hotel and, and, and 10 days at Disney World. You get in there and your daddy says, and your mother, they're all, they're agreed on this. Now, as while we're in here, I want you to count as many people as you can who are drinking something. Drinking water, drinking lemonade, drinking Cokes. You're like, okay, we'll, we'll do that for a little bit. And then after 15 minutes, they say, no, no, keep on counting. Keep on counting. That's what we're here for. We are here to count people that are drinking water, lemonade, whatever it is. And you're just looking kind of wild-eyed at this point. And the whole morning, you count and you keep track. You have this total. And at the end of the day, you all... Put your cards together. There's this grand count. And then your daddy actually takes a picture of you holding the card with how many people drank things that day. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. And over the years, you have an actual scrapbook. Scrapbook of every day where you're holding a card that has the number of people. And at the end of each week, a big poster that has the grand total of that that number. And you have other families who do the same thing and you compare notes. How many did you count while you were down there? We counted 15,000 in one day. Wow, that's the most we've ever counted. That's all they talked about. And one day you're down there and you say, Dad, what about, what about the rides that are here? And your daddy says, rides? We're here to count people drinking. Look at all the people drinking around here. You think I'm just going to ignore all of that? We're going to count and we're going to keep counting. Now that would be just absolutely crazy. Why? Because the point of Disney World is not that at all, is it? The point of Disney World to go every year is to ride the rides and go to the entertainment and just have at it. You have to wait in lines, but that's just part of it. But it's to get to those rides. Well, the Pharisees had missed the whole point of the Bible. The whole point of the Bible. And here Jesus says it right here. You're searching the scriptures and, and you're searching for eternal life. But here's the wild thing. Those scriptures are all about me. I'm the eternal life about which they speak. And you won't come to me for eternal life. 
You have no idea what the scripture is about. You're rejecting the real message of the scripture because the whole message of the scripture is standing before you and you are turning your back on it. That's as crazy and way more tragic, as tragic as that might seem, kids, that you would never ride a ride at Disney World. This is a terrible tragedy. But in the, in the process here, you see that Jesus underscores that he is the whole sum and substance of what the Bible is about. And if you miss that, you miss the whole Bible. I want you to back up a few pages to Luke chapter 24, and we'll see where Jesus says this in a different way. Luke chapter 24, that's back on page 885. And you'll see the title there on the road to Emmaus, and you're familiar with this. Uh, Perhaps that two disciples are going to Emmaus. Jesus joins them, and they have this long talk about what's been going on, and they tell him about the suffering of Christ and all of this. And toward the end of this conversation, notice verse 25, after they said that the tomb was empty, he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, the indication is the prophets said that he's going to suffer, said he's going to enter into his glory. It was necessary that it happened because that's what the Bible is about. In one way or another... It is pointing forward to those events that Christ should suffer and enter into his glory. And so then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So we understand from this that everything points to Christ, that really everything in the Old Testament was a preview of events to come. Some kind of picture, some kind of foreshadowing, some kind of foretaste and anticipation of the Christ to come. That's the whole of the the Bible. And Jesus is able to range through the whole of the scripture and interpret it to them. That's the same word that uh, where you interpret a, a name into a different language or you interpret tongues in the New Testament. It's that same word. So he is interpreting to them the meaning of the scripture. It's about him. And then later, when he's speaking to all the disciples, in verse 44, he said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened his mind, their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So we could say, and here's a bigger word, but we could say that uh, the whole of the Bible is has a Christological focus, right? It's all about Christ. But I want you to notice something here in verse 47, that it's not only that he would die and rise But the whole Old Testament says he should be proclaimed. So the whole Old Testament 
is not simply previewing the coming of Christ. It's saying this must be announced. This is the great focus of the Bible, this Christ, and he must be proclaimed uh, throughout all the nations. That is what the Bible is about. It's about that mission to proclaim what has happened. And so just as he can summarize the whole Old Testament and say, it's about me, he says, it's about me proclaimed. And if I'm not proclaimed, obviously we are not fulfilling the whole of what the Bible is about. It's not just the event of Christ, but it's the event announced. That's what the Bible is about. So, we could as well miss the whole Bible if we think it's about me and Christ and we end there and we are not involved in the mission of Christ. Then in a sense, we've turned our back on the whole of what the Bible is about. It is about Christ's death and resurrection and its announcement to the nations. That's the only Christianity there is, okay? It's the only true religion there is, a religion to be announced, a religion of mission. So, that's our introduction to these three uh, sessions the God of mission, the people of mission, and the place of mission. Now, a few minutes then on the God of mission, if you'll take this sheet out. What you'll see in these passages, both Old and New Testament, is that the astonishing uniqueness of God must be proclaimed in the world. The astonishing uniqueness of God must be proclaimed in the world. Because he, as we just are catching a few, few verses of the hundreds of verses that speak to the fact that he is the only God. He is the unique God. There is none other like him. There is no other God. That's the constant message of the Old Testament. And because he is the only God, because he is the unique, uh, transcendent, unique God, he is to be proclaimed because he's the God of the whole earth. And that God has revealed himself to us. We have the task, the glorious task of proclaiming the one true God in the world. So, notice in Deuteronomy 4. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other. In other words, we would put it like this. Explore all the galaxies that are in the universe. Go from top to bottom, left to right, east to west, wherever you go. See if there's another God. Just, just tell me if you find one. That's the feel of this. Whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Okay? 
See the uniqueness, the astonishing uniqueness of this God. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. That is the message to Israel. This great God of all the earth in the most astonishing, unique way that only he could do because he is God has, has created all things, has revealed himself to Israel and has redeemed them from Egypt. He's the creator, he's the revealer, he's the redeemer. And there's none like him. And, they, and the feel as, you, as we move into Isaiah here is because there's none like him, he must be proclaimed against all the rivals of the earth that are no gods, that are not the Lord, that are not this God. He must be proclaimed because he is their God as well. And so Isaiah 43, bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. You see the absolute sovereignty and unique beauty and majesty of this God. We are witnesses to this God. So it's a, it's a package deal, you see. When you come to know this God and see the unique glory of this God, then you are immediately called in as witness of this God. You can't know him. You cannot know him without being called to bear witness of him. That's your privilege. That's your honor in the earth that you represent and make known the true God. And so Isaiah 12 says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. And the idea, of course, is the great tragedy, the great corruption that we would not be a part of making this unique, glorious God known to all peoples of the earth. He is that wonderful. Now, let's tie this in, as the New Testament does, with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in Philippians 2, this is a familiar passage, I think, to many of you. He calls us to have the same mind of Christ Jesus. And then he speaks of how he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he poured himself out and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So it's a it's an explanation of the majestic humility of this God who did not hold on to his position, so to speak, but poured himself out, becoming a servant, even to the point of death. But this is an amazing thing, then said. Therefore, because he made himself a servant, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But notice where that passage is taken from in the Old Testament. Isaiah 45 Where he says, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other from my, by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. This is Yahweh in the Old Testament saying, To me, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess and swear allegiance to me, the unique and only God, and there is no other. And yet here in Philippians 2, Jesus Christ is fully identified as Yahweh, declaring that to him every knee shall bow. To him every knee will, uh, every mouth will confess. So the knowledge of God, this announcement of the glory of Yahweh now has become the announcement of the glory of of Jesus Christ, who has manifested Yahweh to us. And so, in the New Testament context, we are announcing a God who has revealed himself in even a more glorious way than in the Old Testament. We are announcing a God who we now see more clearly, we saw the edges of it, maybe bits and pieces of it, but we see that he is a triune God who lives, has lived in perfect fellowship and love from all eternity. There is no other God like that. You think of all the other gods, and of course we think that's because they're not real gods. You just imagine the other gods. There is no God that is dwelled in eternal happiness and love forever. That is a community himself. That is fellowship. That is family himself. There is no other God like that. And we say there is no other God who sacrificed himself for his subjects. 
who sacrificed himself for those who had turned against him. There is no other God like this. Go and search the heavens. Go and search the galaxies. Have you ever heard, has anyone ever heard of a God like this? Who would take upon himself flesh and bear the very punishment that we deserve. Has anybody ever heard of a hero God who falls on the grenade himself? Anybody ever heard of this God, of a God of lavish, radical love? There is no other. And so we have the opportunity, we have the call to bear witness. And notice, I didn't read this verse, but there it is in Luke 24 at the bottom of your page. After that passage that we just read, he says, you are witnesses of these things. It's the same phrase, isn't it, that we saw up in Isaiah 43 two times. You are witnesses. He says to them in the Old Testament, you are witnesses of Yahweh, this unique and glorious God. He says to us, you are witnesses to the unique beauty and glory of God as it's been manifested in Jesus Christ. And you see, this is what the whole of the Bible is about. You can even say this, there wouldn't even be a Bible if it weren't for God's mission. Wouldn't even be a Bible. So it's not just that the Bible's about mission. Mission is the reason for the Bible. Jesus speaks of this in John 6 when he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me and I will keep them and I will raise them up on the last day. Well, he's talking about a plan that was before the foundation of the world. So the very creation of the world had this in view, that When I create the world and they fall into sin, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's the plan. That's the mission. Even before the foundation of the world, the mission was in place. And then we see it starting to unfold as even when uh, Abraham is chosen, he says in his first breath to Abraham, so to speak, in your descendant, all the nations will be blessed. Even the first choosing of Israel, the whole point of this is the blessing of the nations, the mission to the nations. There wouldn't even been a revelation to uh, Abraham except for that mission. And you could say that the whole of not just the Bible, but the whole of creation, the whole history of the world is about this mission. And so... We have to ask, am I in or am I out? It's not just that we are planning a church and it has a mission. The church worldwide has this mission. It's not our mission. It's God's mission. And by his invitation and by his command, he he draws us to participate in In his mission, which ultimately is a mission to redeem the whole of his creation. Talk about a mission you could sink your teeth into. Talk about something bigger than you are. Talk about something that reaches to the far ends of history and creation itself. That you participate in the mission of God to redeem all of creation. 
And so now the ante is so much higher because it's not just that we are announcing this Lord and sovereign creator of all things who is the unique Lord of the earth. But now we're announcing and he gave his life as a human being for sin. This majestic Lord It's the most awesome thing that anyone could ever contemplate that this awesome creator of all things would take upon himself flesh and suffer. That's why in Hebrews 10, when he's talking to people that were in danger of turning away from Christ, he says, if you turn away, you will... Trample underfoot the Son of God. You will treat unholy the blood that is shed in the covenant. See, now the announcement is about God having shed his blood. It's this Lord who has manifested this amazing sacrifice. It must be told, it must be announced. We must bear witness so that others might come to know this God and know the forgiveness of which Ryan spoke so wonderfully earlier about. And we went through in our liturgy this forgiveness, this standing before the true God and knowing that you're accepted by him and embraced by him. That is our great privilege in this world to be a part of that. And it's not just in our speaking, but our Fellowship is a witness. Our love to each other is a witness of that love that he has shown to us. We are that aroma of his love. That's why Paul can say even to slaves, adorn the doctrine of God. You, you adorn this doctrine. Draw people to this doctrine by your love of one another and your love for other people. You bear witness Even as we take the Lord's Supper, we are bearing witness to the greatness of this God, the absolute uniqueness of this God who is both Lord and servant. So, it's encouraging that with all of our fear, all of our confusion, all of our questions of what to do, how to do it, how do I get more involved, these are Wonderful questions, and we're hoping to answer more of those in the next two weeks. This is the only God there is. He's the God of mission. And he enables you to engage in his mission by his grace and gives you that joy and privilege. And the happiest part of life is making known this glorious God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we... See in your word that the whole of scripture is about Christ and therefore it's about this mission of Christ. It is about making known this transcendent, unique God, this astonishing, breathtaking, only real God. Lord, may we treasure you and value you. And when we speak to others, may we... Have that enthusiasm to say, have you ever heard, have you ever heard of a God who is like this, who 
who lives in everlasting love, who makes people in his image to have relationship, who then sacrifices himself to restore us to goodness. Have you ever heard of a God like this? Ever heard of a philosophy, any idea of anything more beautiful than this hero God who would spend himself? Oh, Lord, give us a renewed desire. In wise ways, in ways that we show hospitality to our neighbors, that we befriend them, that we party with them in, the, in, the, in good ways, that we fellowship and invite them in, that we share our lives and involve ourselves in their lives, that we serve them well in kindness, concern. And in those contexts, and in the context of larger fellowships of your people, we explain the gospel as you give us opportunity, or they hear it from someone else in our church, or however you might choose to make the message known as they see its evidence in our lives. Oh, Lord, bless us, bless us, that because you have said, you are my witnesses. Thank you that you've chosen us to do that. When at one point we didn't even want to know you, make us, Lord, joyful, joyful, joyful in being called to bear witness to this God who is the God of mission. Bless us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.